This is an Ion Annapolis bonus podcast. We're sitting here with Georgia Sherrod in a wonderful conference room that I used to be in many, many moons ago when I was with the Volunteer Center for Anne Arundel County. But Georgia is the executive director. Is that the? Yes, that's the title, executive director. Of the Anne Arundel County Conflict Resolution Center. And the reason that we're sitting down here talking today is because uh, COVID has brought an awful lot of things to our lives over the last nine months, uh, one of which has been conflict. And you are the source of all conflicts in Anne Arundel County, of curing all those conflicts in Anne Arundel <laughs> County. So we figured we, you know, we're coming to Georgia for all the answers. Yeah, I like that clarification. Yeah, not the source of, but the solution. Yeah, so it's, it's like anything else. The more time that we spend together and people are either in isolation in the sense that they're by themselves and so they're thinking of everything that could possibly go wrong. They're looking at all the ills in society. They're consuming more television. And at the same time, you have people who are living in close proximity, right? They're working at home. They're parenting at home. They're married at home. Yeah, 24-7. 24-7, right. So we've seen a rise in marital separation cases. We've seen a rise in parenting plan cases, um, in just general community disputes. Uh, We've got a rise in the referrals from the police departments. You name it. If there is a resource that normally refers cases to us, there's been an increase in those cases, what we call community cases. So landlord-tenant cases, um, neighborhood disputes, neighbors who are getting on each other's nerves. And so it's been a rise in that, but we know that that's primarily due to COVID, people being in close proximity to one another and not having the outlets that they normally would have to basically just kind of get away from one another. Right. I've had enough of you. I need to go to the grocery store. Right. You know, whatever it may be. But now let's let's take a step back here. The Anne Arundel County Conflict Resolution Center mm-hmm. is not a county department. It is a non a separate nonprofit, but obviously mm-hmm. you work very tightly with the county. You're, mm-hmm. you know, sort of uh, stepsisters or stepbrothers, if Correct. you Correct. So we oftentimes will be looked at as a quasi-governmental agency, but we're not. We are truly a nonprofit organization. We work in coalition with other nonprofit organizations. We are one of 14 what's called community mediation centers. And so community mediation is very different in the sense that it's usually it's services that are provided to anyone in the community, and the majority of our services are free of charge. So unlike um, going to a lawyer or to someone else for mediation or for arbitration, our services are for anyone in the community and we cover any series of, of issues and topics, but we're not funded um, by the county. So we're not a line item in the county's budget. We uh, write grants and apply for grants. We get private funding from individuals. We do fundraisers. Um, we have major donors. We have low dollar donor events, sure. crowdfunding, that sort of thing. That All of those dollars actually support the work of the center. Well, I know I had a friend of mine who was just, and, and this is going you know, pre-COVID, but it was having just real issues with dealing with her son. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was just a SO, terrible SOB. And, <laughs> you know, you asked him and she is such a B. And, you know, I mean, it, it went back. They were just, you know, knocking heads. Mm-hmm. And they came to the Conflict Resolution Center and they were able to find a common ground. So, I mean, is that primarily what you're doing is personal relationship type things or you you'd mm-hmm. mentioned like landlord tenant or does right. it get into do you get into like marriage counseling or well we don't do counseling uh, we use what's called the primarily the inclusive style of mediation it's a co-mediation model where we don't make decisions for people what we attempt to do is put people in safe places and spaces where they can have difficult conversations like the scenario that you just described of the woman and her son who were having difficulty communicating with one another. So we don't shy away from it being emotional or you know eruptive or anything like that because that's a part of conflict, right? But at the same time, once you can talk through whatever your issues are and feel heard, I think that's oftentimes the difference. When we're trading insult for insult, no one's being heard. But when you can come into a space where a conversation can have a, you can construct the conversation and instruct the conversation, it becomes a very different uh, purpose because at the end of the day, we want to also come up with ideas and solutions around how 
families and individuals can solve problems. And sometimes those are interpersonal issues like what you described. And other times they're business, they're transactional. Um, it could be someone um, is suing someone in district court for selling them faulty tires. And so that can be mediated here in the center or it can be mediated actually at district court. Um, it could be a situation where a couple is no longer happy with one another, but they're not married and they want to separate their property. Well, of course, they can come here and we can participate in what's called a marital separation. And that can be put before a judge or before the court. But it's a physical agreement that people come up with themselves. And the key is this. Different than any type of legal action, this is really about self-determination. It's not about a judge or a lawyer or anyone else telling you what you have to do. Because those lawyers are the ones that make all the money. (laughs) Well, they they can make quite a bit of money at mediation as well. But the difference in mediation, whether it's the facilitative or the inclusive style of mediation or the transitional um, um, form of mediation, is it's important that the parties that are involved, the two people, three people, four people, five people that are having the conflict, that they're able to be guided through a, a conversation that might be difficult for them to have, but they're having it. And they're coming up with solutions and ideas around how they can fix those problems, and they're agreeing to those. So on a, on a real basic level, if mm-hmm. you and I are having a, a, a conflict, and we sit down here at the table, and I say, okay, well, th- this is my problem with you, and this is what I want from you, mm-hmm. and you do the same thing to me, and then we just, you, as the Conflict Resolution Center, sort of massage that into a pile in the middle between us to say, okay, mm-hmm. well... This, you know, do you see where he's coming from when he says that you're, he's the kid and the mom, over overbearing and you know butting into his life, mm-hmm. and can you see where she's coming from because she loves you and she cares for you and wants to make sure that you're safe type thing, mm-hmm. is that sort of the? It's kind of the methodology. What's important is unpacking people's feelings and values. Oftentimes we can't translate our feelings to other people because of our emotions. We also, it's difficult sometimes for someone to appreciate our values when they see things differently. Um, If your son or your daughter wants to come out as gay or lesbian and you are against that, right? So if you're focused on the homosexuality or you're you're focused on your religious faith, that oftentimes can blur and look like lines that can't be crossed. But if we can get into what's really valued in that relationship, love, honesty, trust, um, um, you know, dedication, passion, um, all of those things that are really important, those are usually things that are universal in regardless of your political position, whether you're Republican or Democrat, whether you like Trump or dislike Trump or whether or not, you, whatever you, if you could get down to a person's values and focus on that and have some type of agreement around the values. Um, And then if you can get into the feelings as to you feel betrayed or you're surprised or you're, often just people don't have a way of really explaining what you shared with me was surprising and shocking because all these years I thought you were blah, 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 blah. But instead of them actually saying that, they pull out some set of words that place barriers in that space. And so what we try to do is is really what we call unpack a lot of that. Once that's unpacked, you can see what the values are. So let's start talking about how we can deal with not allowing that to be in this space again. Like, I don't want to be disrespected again. Um, Being respected is a value, right? Disrespect is a feeling oftentimes that that we'll throw at a person by calling them a bitch or, or... you know, an ugly name or, you know, some derogatory. But you do that, why? Because you're feeling hurt and you're feeling misunderstood. And so getting to the value of, of the space of that is where mediation requires um, a lot of training. It requires more listening than speaking. And then letting those individuals have that conversation. We're not interfering in that. We're guiding that conversation. Well, you talk about the, the training. So 
I mean, I'm, I'm going to make the assumption that you're not the chief cook, bottle washer, and the the mediator for absolutely everybody that comes in here. I mean, do, what what is the setup as far as a staff, volunteers uh, that you guys operate with here? Right. So we do have staff um, on here at the center. Um, in addition to myself, we have four staff members. And we also have two AmeriCorps staff members. I don't know if you're familiar with AmeriCorps, mm-hmm. but every year or two, it kind of depends on the length of the contract with the AmeriCorps staff person. We have AmeriCorps staff that comes in. Our AmeriCorps staff focuses heavily on our reentry mediation. And those are individuals who are incarcerated in um, county jails and prisons here in Anne Arundel County. And we provide that service so that those individuals who are reentering our communities, wherever it is, Pasadena, Lothian, you know, Severin, Annapolis, that they can reconnect with their families or make new connections and to reduce recidivism because we find that the more often people are engaged and involved in mediation if they're incarcerated, it reduces the probability of them going back to jail. I imagine right? it's very easy to do that. And I know I've, I've, I'm drawing a blank on her name, but we've, mm-hmm. I've heard a presentation at the... Um, uh, Ignite a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Vanessa Bright, I think, okay. is her name. And she's starting a nonprofit, especially for that. It's mm-hmm. We've got a business now. And right now, mm-hmm. I think there's focusing on like floor cleaning or something mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. or pressure washing. Mm-hmm. And they're taking, you know, recently released mm-hmm. ex incarcerated mm-hmm. and, and give them, and, and that's the whole thing. I mean, it's so yeah. easy to slip back. And I spoke right. with Robert Eads, who yes, is, a, Robert, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of my, you can't build a pedestal high enough for Robert Eads. I mean, he's, he's unconventional. Well, and, this is interesting. Cause you know, Robert was one of the founders of the center. He was, was one he of really? our, or, yeah. Robert Eads was one of our um, founding members and what we call early supporters. So yeah, Robert is greatly missed around here. Oh my gosh. You know, it was such mm-hmm. a tragedy when he passed, but I know. it was, you know, but I've had so many conversations with him and I mean, he's so focused on, on the kids and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And we had a big conversation about just crime and everything. He says, mm-hmm. he says, yeah, you get them out, you put them back in, into, you know, public housing mm-hmm. and, and you don't give them anything. And what that mm-hmm. anything could be, depending on what it could mm-hmm. be, a basketball court to play on. It could be something as simple as that. It could be a job. It could be transportation to this. He says, and it's so easy to slip back into this. Mm-hmm. And you sit there and you say, okay, well, yeah, okay, so on the drugs. Yeah, it's that's a, a cycle. Quick one. We try to break that cycle, and and we do it in a way that, um, you know, back to our staff and the services, we provide mediation both both as an intervention and prevention. So in the preventative space, we work with youth when they're very young. So we try to provide them um, uh, dialogue circles, student-to-student mediation, attendance mediation. And to do that, the goal of providing those services, which is really our staff and volunteers, especially trained in basic mediation, which is a 45-hour initial training session, um, then an apprenticeship, and then a five-hour refresher. And in the process of a year of people doing that, they're getting opportunities to work directly with, with families, with individuals, but with other experienced mediators and our staff in the community. Um, in addition to that, once they've completed that first year or two, because it really varies depending upon the volunteer, they then select, we hope they select, um, an advanced training, i.e. Um, attendance mediation, IEP facilitations, okay. which are individualized education plans, Programs. right, or 504, where they go into the schools and they work with families around talking to the schools about their IEP plans. Um, the student-to-student mediation, which is not to be um, confused with what we call peer-to-peer mediation, Student-to-student mediation um, is one of our our education um, mediation services where students are taught in the schools through our peace teams. So they're professional individuals, usually our AmeriCorps staff, they're put in a school to work with the students who are in conflict with each other. They mediate with them immediately. So this reduces violence in the schools. It reduces the occurrence of students being suspended, right? And it deals directly with a thing we call disproportionality. So we find that there is a high incident of children of color, children in poverty, who are oftentimes suspended or expelled from school 
for, um, for any number of reasons, right? And we find that oftentimes if we can deal with teaching those children to develop strong communication skills, that's half of the right. That's, that's, so this 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 begets the need for children to have, you know, to be moved from what we call the school to prison pipeline. That's our way of cutting into that pipeline. It's one way. Second way is to provide in-place services and workshops for cohorts. So oftentimes we have volunteers who are in our education pipeline. So they've been trained specifically to work with youth in schools and in communities on any number of subject matters, right? And so those individuals um, will go to, for example, Center of Help. We have a cohort of 14 kids that are African-American and Latinx, and we work with them every week. We design a curriculum for those kids to talk about de-escalation. So they're confronting racial issues or they're confronting peer pressure Right, you're you're Latinx and and you're in a community and you learn you've just come here from another country, but you your English is getting better and your grades are getting great, and then there's a gang over here that's trying to recruit you. That's potential conflict. Oh, so yeah. how do you deal with that, right? And the cultural sensitivities. How do we teach African American and Latino children to get along, right? So we have more in common than we have different. So teaching children strong communication skills, things that they can use in the communities where they live, in the schools where they attend school. What we hope as a result of this is to increase graduation rates, decrease suspension rates, and give children the confidence that they need to do things like self-referral. So when they find themselves in conflict, they're not waiting for a principal or a uh, guidance counselor to tell them, you need to go and see Ms. Georgia and the peace team to talk about this issue. We have them knocking on the door saying, Ms. Georgia, can I talk to you? I have this problem. Well, it sounds, sounds to me like you're, you know, Georgia, you're a disruptor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if, if you will. I mean, in a, certainly in a good sense here mm -hmm. in that, you know, we're, we're able to, you know, if you've got this pipeline, mm -hmm. you know, to turn around, okay, let's put a couple exit ramps on here and see mm -hmm. see what, what we can get before, you know, mm -hmm. as we work on severing this pipeline to make sure that it doesn't happen there. Mm -hmm. Now, when the people come into mediation, into the Conflict, Re Conflict Resolution Center, I've got to imagine that there has to be a desire on both sides <laughs> to, to do this, okay? I mean, mm -hmm. if, if I'm just like... There is absolutely no way I'm talking to a woman, no way, no how, no, you know, I'm, you know there's no sense in us sitting here. Yes. yes. Um, I mean, I've got to sit there and say, okay, well, I think she's full of crap, but maybe she's got something of value. So you hit the nail on the head. There are a couple of things. Mediation, first and foremost, is voluntary. Even when it's court ordered, it's still voluntary. And so when we pick up the phone and we say, hi, Susie Smith, I just received a phone call from John Smith, and he would like to invite you to mediation. Is this something that you would consider? And we kind of go into this whole spiel with them about what mediation is and what it's not, because you want people to know what they're getting into. So we don't talk people into not intervention. Right. So we explain to them the process. But first and foremost, it's voluntary. OK. Secondly, it is confidential. This is not a legal process, but what happens in mediation stays in mediation. Mediators cannot be subpoenaed to testify in court about something that was discussed in mediation. And it's confidential from the standpoint that you and the other parties can speak about what happened outside of the mediation room, but the staff and the mediators that are volunteering here, they're, if they're involved and they're engaged, the case managers, the AmeriCorps staff, they cannot have discussion with anyone outside the center about a mediation, okay? The second thing is we have to report things that are reportable, i.e. child abuse, sure. abuse to elderly adults, the sort of thing. So that's not covered under confidentiality. The other thing about confidentiality is if you do decide in this space that you want it to be confidential, that is a separate agreement, and we can discuss that. And at that point, not even you or the other party breaks that confidentiality, okay? And then finally, one last thing is that we're non-judgmental. So in the sense that we don't have a dog in the fight, um, if you come to the Center for Mediation and you and I are friends, 
I recuse myself from that process. I'm not engaged. I don't know anything else about it. Um, but we will, 99% of the time, um, mediations when they occur, no one in the center knows those are the parties. And if that just so happens to be the case, we would farm it out to another center that sure. had no. So confidentiality is important to us and being um, clear that we don't have a dog in the fight. And I say that in the sense that our goal is for a positive outcome for all parties to feel heard, even if they don't have an agreement. One of the things that's really important about mediation is that people have an opportunity to be heard. Mm -hmm. You can say, I've had my say. I don't want to agree with her about anything. I'm done. That's a win. That may, that may be just what the what That's the what they ordered. need, right. They don't need an agreement to say, don't come within 10 feet of me. They need the opportunity to face you face to face to say, I was hurt by what you said to me and how you handled it, and I'm done with it. And then the other person can say, well, this is why I did that. Okay, great. Now I'm glad that we have an understanding about why it happened. I'm good. Do you put, uh, you mentioned like court-ordered mediation. Mm -hmm. Do you put in instances like that, is there a report that is submitted or is that something that would go back to, I mean, presuming that they're in court, they're either representing themselves or they have a lawyer. Mm -hmm. uh, is it something that you would say, hey, we did mediating and the parties agreed to this? Yes. Or is it mm -hmm. something that you send the parties out of your door saying, tell your lawyers that you agreed to this? No. So it, it really depends on um, on the situation. Most of the time with court-ordered mediation, let's use parenting plans, for example, um, if a couple is ordered here by the circuit court to come up with a plan on how they are going to split time with their kids, so forth and so on, the court gives them very specific instructions on what needs to be a part of that agreement. So you either have a partial agreement or a full agreement, but it's a checklist of things. Okay. And it can be everything like how the child will split holidays, um, their school schedules, summers, food, you name it. So we give a list of topics. We write that up in very specific language based upon the ideas that the family come up with in those categories or those topics. We give that to the parties to sign. We hold on to a copy of that. And then it depends. We can oftentimes send it to the court if the court has requested the copy from us or if the parties have to show up in court, they're then required to bring a copy of the signed agreement with them to court. But either way, the agreement is filed with court or not filed with court. Okay. It just really depends on, on, on the party. Um, in the case of district court, um, they do require an agreement. So if we're actually in court the day of trial and the judge says, go with Ms. Sherrod over here and work this out, we'll still give them an agreement. It might be a handwritten agreement or something I can type up relatively quickly. They sign it, all parties. And that's given to the judge, and it's entered into the record. As do you have an agreement. office in the courthouse? No, we or don't. What we normally do is for day of court, we have a schedule. So um, these were people that you've worked with before? No. that, or just Well, they can be. So a couple of things can happen. Um, the ADR office, the Alternative Dispute Resolution Office in the District Court of Maryland, they have mediators all over the state. You either do settlement conference with the district court or you do mediation. Settlement conference can only be done by lawyers, which is very different than what we do. But you show up the day of trial, um, either with your lawyers or without representation. The judge looks at the docket and decides which cases will go to mediators. And if mediators are available, he will say, go with this individual. And there are rooms throughout the courthouse that right. you can use to do your mediation. But we have cases, kind of like, you know, um, rapid response kits that mm -hmm. we can basically pull out. All of our documentation is there. That has changed since COVID. Everything is virtual now. Sure. So everything has been done um, on Zoom. So we have all of our forms online. Individuals can see the forms. We have breakout rooms. It's worked out really surprisingly well for everyone that the way the court has um, invested the money, number one, in the software, they have a slightly different version of Zoom that we have. It's much more robust. Um, their documentation um, tools they use are really easy to fill in online, and we just submit everything. But it's the same process of mediation, okay. right? Well, you, you mentioned everything's different with COVID and everything else. So mm -hmm. where is, as your, I hate to say your business is picking up uh, yeah. <laughs> during COVID, but again, you know, I know that 
I know so many people that have, uh, you know, they've got either adult children that are living at home or children, children that are living at home. And this is just such a different world for all of us. Um, we're, you know, the thing I hate is that I can't just say, hey, let's go out to dinner and such and such, you know, on, on you know, on this on a snap decision. Uh, now you got to think, do they have outside dining? Do they have ventilation if it's inside? If it's, you know, are they open? Do they have a full menu of the whole nine yards? But I would have to imagine that everything, I mean, we look at the number of suicides, unfortunately, coming off of the Bay Bridge. Yeah. Uh, this past summer has been been horrible, and there have been a couple notable ones where they've shut down the bridge for several hours to do that. Um, and, and I've got to think that a lot of this has to do with the psychological, the physical, and the emotional impacts of COVID. Mm -hmm. And you seem to be like the, an ideal mm -hmm. place to sort of work your way through that. Mm -hmm. I mean, have you seen that uptick? We've seen the uptick where we, I have to, um, I have to give a great deal of credit to the county executive and to the various agencies and organizations around the state. Um, and to Governor Hogan for moving to help um, fund organizations like ours who uh, rely heavily on private donations and grants. So through the CARES Act, we were able to keep our doors open because schools were shut down, prisons were shut down, and courts were shut down. So those are three of our major referral sources. Right. Um, but look, Children still need to be educated. They're in the community. Um, people are still having conflict and, and want to sue one another one way or the other. And, you know, so you name it. Those are the things that we, we normally looked to were still having issue. So our center turned on a dime to virtual services um, where we used to have anger management here every Saturday. Um, we'd have right at about 15 to 20 people in this very room taking anger management pre-trial. So the court ordered them to anger management. Okay. We were doing anger management in the prisons in MCIW and Jennifer Road Detention Center twice a week, twice on Tuesdays, twice on Thursdays. That's a lot of people. So what we were able to do for those parties is use different methodology Instead of being in person for anger management, we shifted to telephone conflict coaching. Now, conflict coaching is more of a restorative practice. And what I mean by that is oftentimes, you, have you ever heard of community conferencing? Well, let's say, for example, a person, you have an offender and a victim. Um, let's say someone got into a fight at school. And so instead of expelling the student right out, schools move to this, what they call a diversion program, diverts kids from the juvenile justice system so it's a restorative practice okay it's meant to restore relationships it's meant to make a person whole or to reestablish a relationship conflict coaching is one very um, solid practice within that discipline and it's amazing because oftentimes people who are engaged engaged in conflict if they're a victim they don't want to face their offender right um, and mediation is not appropriate for all situations, especially where intimidation is involved. So we don't put people in spaces that are intimidated by one another. Mm -hmm. But conflict coaching was amazing for anger management because these people still needed to have some tool to help them work through their anger because the court's saying, you're going to anger management, you need to deal with this issue, which they need to do that. But how do you do that when the program's no longer available? So what we were able to do for our re-entry families who still wanted to have conversations with their incarcerated party um, for individuals who were in anger management is we started our conflict, we converted our conflict coaching methodology to providing that service where we're on the phone with individuals. We still help them unpack their issues, but it's on a one-on-one. -on -one. It's almost like counseling, yeah. but it gives people an opportunity to talk through their feelings identify the problems, and then come up with some potential solutions so that when and if they're available to mediate with this person in the future, they have a plan. But they can also look at what can I do right now by myself, myself. right, that can help me get beyond 
this place because I can't talk to Johnny. I can't see him face to face. What's really helpful for the prisoners is that it's in a written format. So for those who can write and have access, we can forward into them some documentation to say, here's some things you might want to think about. And it starts a written dialogue with that incarcerated person that you have really, the one thing that I find to be um, extremely helpful for people who are incarcerated is to be felt that someone is hearing them because you're alone a lot with your own thoughts. And to write them down in a journal is one thing, but to write them down and have someone answer them and help you think through you know, that's just, a, that's just a human thing. I mean, you know, everybody yeah. wants to be heard. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's from the, the little screaming baby in church to the, mm-hmm. you know, to a prisoner to, you know, a 95-year-old man on his, on his deathbed. Yes. Um, everybody does want to be heard. Do you deal with, I mean, does this get violent ever on you guys? Um, so. I mean, I imagine you pick and choose to a degree. Well, no, no, no. So we don't. We don't pick and choose. What we say is that mediation happens. I mean, conflict happens at all degrees. So we're trained to handle um, potential violence. We have specific rules around people becoming aggressive, and we allow people to become to be as assertive as they want to be, and we allow people to use whatever language they want to use. But we do have a point in which we will call a mediation off and there's a process for doing that that protects our mediators and they're trained to do that they understand what that process is and they understand and we also do it um, in a building like this one of the things we love about being in the space that we're in is we have security and the same is true of our site partners we actually mediate in the community where conflict is happening and so a lot of our partners will allow us to use their space But we do try to make sure that, okay, if two individuals are here in the evening, what what protocol protocol can they use? And so we always know where our mediators are. Um, We always know who they're with. If we have a party that has been violent in the past or extremely aggressive, we try to make um, accommodations for that. But we don't put mediators in situations where they feel uncomfortable. So if a mediator said to me, I don't feel comfortable mediating that case, we wouldn't have that mediator do that case. Um, And in some cases, what we will do is we will place a specific mediator on a case um, because we notice that tensions are oftentimes brought down if a person can look across the table and see someone that they can identify with. More sure, readily. I imagine that jumps into race and it jumps into gender. It jumps into, you know. Socioeconomic, oh. right. So, for example, like you see me wearing this. I would never wear this in mediation, this cross, this, this, okay. this. Because someone might think that I'm overly religious and judging them because they're an atheist. I was well, doing that. Yeah, you're, I know you're judging <laughs> me, right? Um, so we teach our mediators to, to be relatively generic in their fashion. Um, in their language, they are very, uh, there's a specific type of language that we use in mediation. We speak to people at their level. We don't use our $10 words necessarily in mediation. But if a person does use $10 words as part of their natural conversation, we don't judge against that. Okay. Um, and if something is not clear and we see confusion, we're taught how and when to pull something apart. Out of curiosity, you mm-hmm. you'd briefly threw this out earlier you said it you know whether you are for or against president trump or whatever it was Mm -hmm. um we're obviously in a very politically charged charged year election cycle Mm -hmm. um and i've I've read articles and articles about divorces happening because somebody is a trump fan and somebody is not a trump fan and vice versa i mean is have you found found an increase in political we have disputes? people we have people who um, in the midst of mediation you see and you've heard of their political differences coming out and that weighing in in, in different ways um, I can only imagine that th- that there's more of that but also you can find that people are somewhat calculated in their conversations even in mediation because they're attempting to judge us and or wind us when mediators over to their side and so sometimes if they see a window they'll jump in it and other times they avoid certain conversations so we will proactively pull something out so it sounds like you're feeling judged around your political views is that correct 
And guess what that's going to do? The person's going to say, well, yeah, you know, I love Trump and I voted for Trump in the 20th election. And my wife is tripping because I put a Trump sign in the yard and our neighbors or whatever. So it sounds like you feel ashamed by your husband's political affiliations and you're looking for con- consideration around and no. people. And so that's a way to have that conversation. Right. I haven't judged or told anybody anything about my political views. And, and now we know. Well, now we've got somewhat of a roadmap to how to resolve. We've got a roadmap it. around this is some. So it could be something that's on their brainstorming map. They may have an idea around the topic of politics, and if that's a topic, then we're going to dig into it. Well, so it's all about wanting to. You know, again, back on that be heard type of a thing, and and you've mentioned it a couple times, Georgia, in that a conversation, once a conversation starts, and there's so many times, and I am guilty as hell of this, is that I get resentful, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, my kid is such a, you know, but if I had just been mature enough, if I had just had the sense enough or whatever, to sit there and put him down on the table and say, "Look, dude, I'm, I'm really upset with the people that you're ha- you're hanging out with, or the crowd that you're running with, or whatever it may be," mm-hmm. uh, and start that conversation. I think a lot of the because I know I know myself for a fact. I mean, I'll sit there. I'm happy go lucky, mm-hmm. and I'm happy go lucky, and it'll get it'll just get to the top, and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks mm-hmm. loose, and it's people are like, "Whoa, what the what the hell just happened here?" Mm-hmm. And that that's how I tend yeah. to react. Yeah. So, Sally, you feel regretful maybe around how you've handled some past, you know, uh, conflict with your children and looking for ways in which you could have handled it better? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's what we would do in mediation is I wouldn't agree or disagree with you. I would just reflect what you said back to me, which is that you've regretted the way that you've handled some things in the past. And if you could do it over again, this would be a great way for you to, to handle it, come in to mediate with them. And we do that. We encourage people to use us for everything. And then, and then I'm agreeing with you saying, well, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I, I, I could do that. And some ideas that you could have around that would be, and it's when we get to the brainstorming section, you might say, okay, the next time you do something I disagree with, um, I'll write it up on the board. We're going to have a board in the middle of the kitchen, and we'll talk about it. We, we have three days to talk about it. People get very detailed, believe it or not, around their agreements. Some can be very vague, but for the person who needs actionable items that they can check off, you, know, you got some people that live by their... Oh, oh, without a doubt. Right, right. So you're a happy-go-lucky guy, you said earlier, and then things build up and they explode. So instead of waiting until things explode, I'm going to address things when they happen, right? And it's going to next- bring down my level of anxiety, and I'm going to be cool about it, and we're just going to deal with it. But for the person that needs that box that says, yes, dad did say he was angry about blah, 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 you may have a kid like that, right? Mm-hmm. And if you do, for that child, the way for them to resolve it is to look over on that board, not to keep a ticking of wrongs that dad's ever done, but to say, we resolve that. Okay, we're not, I'm not going to go back he's, to that. He's, he's upset about this. He was or, upset and, about and it. it works both ways. And it's, and it's a learning process um, for, for people to learn how to have conversations with each other. So we're not always needed. The thing that I find the most useful is when individuals come out of mediation and they say, I'd like to do this. And we have quite a few mediators that came to the profession as a result of a conflict in their life. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. My Ever since my kids were growing up, I told them, I said, you know, whenever you're drinking at a party underage or whatever and there's drugs and you feel unsafe or whatnot, you get into trouble, whatever, you can always call me. We'll do it. And it's, we're not going to get into it tonight. Mm-hmm. We'll get into it the next day or the day mm-hmm. after. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, sure enough, uh, you know, got busted at a party with uh, underage drinking. Mm-hmm. Get the call from the police at 2 in the morning. And she was just absolutely scared to death that I wasn't going to keep my word. I mean, I went and I picked her up and I just said, hey, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a great ride home. I mean, we sat right. in silence for you know, 30 mm-hmm. minutes. Awkward silence. Um, but it was like, you know, and, and she was just waiting for me just to absolutely lay into her from the right. time I showed up at that house. Uh, you know, the following morning, the whole nine yards, and, our, and I said, no, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it. I said, our deal was that I need to cool down uh, because you know I'm hot. Yeah. 
Uh, you need to cool down because you know when we go at it, you're going to get hot. Right. So let's just clear things and we'll come back at this on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And and it worked out really well. Yes. She in, in the end, she turned around and said, you know, I, I really didn't know what I was getting into. And I figured you were the lesser of two evils between you or mom who I wanted to call. And <laughs> Wow. Wow. So there was a potential for conflict and she was trying to avoid it. And by the time that she there was some action, it was too late. And so we find with young people is that it's the best way to teach them how to make mature decisions with what they have in front of them. Right. Because you can't expect them necessarily to make the same decision that you or I would make. But having the knowledge that, you know, my dad is a man of his word. It's, it's, it was important to her. And to see that, that informed her ability to p- depend on you later on. The next time, the, the next, next decision time. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do you guys work with the crisis intervention team at all? Yes, we do. So um, earlier this year, because of COVID, one of the things that was really amazing when I was complimenting the county, um, in particular the county executive's office, um, Alana Dennis Uh, worked directly with a number of different agencies, including the school board, the uh, Office of Equity, to put together a series of uh, talks on um, race, healthy dialogues. And in doing so, we worked directly with um, CIT and with the state's attorney's office to put together two videos. They're going to be um, released in November But the whole purpose of working specifically with CIT is working on de-escalation and what it is that they do. So we work very closely with the Anne Arundel County Police Department um, when uh, Chief Altamari was in in charge and now with acting um, Chief Chief Lowry uh, Lowry on a whole series of programs. So they noticed immediately, really prior to COVID, there was this increase in domestic calls. They were receiving phone calls. And so we developed a tear-off that we could give to police officers. We found that um, by the time police officers go to the same resident by the third time, that more than likely violence has occurred and an arrest will happen. And so what we said to the police department was, well, why don't we start giving people a place to resolve their conflict before you get there for that third call, right? Right. And so police officers have been trained, and I think it's this month we're actually working with um, the cadets that are in the new class on conflict resolution, on conflict management training. So as they walk into new situations, they're knocking on doors and answering phone calls or going to people's homes who are having conflict, they're able to say to those residents, you should call the Conflict Resolution Center because they know people are having domestic issues, not domestic violence. It's been been going on since... In the time, right. So that was one layer. Another layer was working with police officers who are having conflict with residents, working with police officers having conflict with other police officers. Well, we really kind of focused that call workplace mediation Mm -hmm. because it's interpersonal conflict between police officers. Um, And then finally, with CIT, it's making sure that when the police are called for a crisis, a mental health crisis, that um, oftentimes there's conflict around what's happening with those individuals in that community, in that family. Because it's a mental health issue, um, we recognize that it could be anything from a... um, an elder care mediation that's required. It could be a situation where there's a person that's disabled, both would be physical or mental, dis, 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 mentally disabled. And so we need to manage that crisis as well and manage conflict around that in that particular community. So we've, we've, we've developed some protocols for working with them, but if we recognize that in the process of doing mediation that the individuals have some type of mental health issue that we can't really work through and that crisis is happening, right. we would reach out and call them. So it's, it's a, it's a dual it's relationship. It's a symbiotic relationship. Yes, sure. It well, it's, it's, you know, with, like you say, with a cop there on the third time, 
there's likely to be an arrest there. And and yes. let's 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 be honest. A, mm-hmm. a, a big guy with a bulletproof vest, a badge, and a gun mm-hmm. uh, does not do anything for de-escalating a situation anytime. It doesn't matter whether it's a traffic stop. But them telling, them handing you a piece of paper and saying, saying, hey, I'm out of here. Call this number. I don't want to come back here again. I need you to call this number. And there are ways that they can do it. So you can do it that way, which is more of a direct, you should call these people. Then there is a, here's a great resource for you. And on the back side, it has all these different things. And if you have a chance, please call these individuals. Because we find that sometimes domestic issues are between parents and children. So the parent can call and we can speak with the parent and maybe refer them to another service. Um, at the same time, provide them with a level of mediation that they need. Um, if it's an ish- issue with the kids not wanting to go to school or something like that, We'll work with their school to make sure that, you know, we can provide the service at the school and really get a good idea of what's happening there. So it it, it really depends on the scenario. And then finally, there's a situation where the police officers are calling, nobody wants to respond, and they just tack it on the door, right? But it's training them to understand and know the difference and how to present the information to the residents. So we do that with the police. We actually train them on that. Well, I think a lot of, too, that... One thing that the people that are listening in the residents of Anne Arundel County and the city of Annapolis all mm-hmm. need to realize is that there is such a wealth of help. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it goes far beyond just conflict resolution, but just mm-hmm. in any number of things within the county. Mm-hmm. You don't know what the public library system offers. They can teach yes. you how to speak a different language. Yes. Uh, you know, they had their... Their seminars, or not seminars, but their uh, story times with the, mm-hmm. the drag drag queen story times, mm-hmm. which was, you know, so you, you've got acceptance and you've got everything there. But when you do have a conflict, you've got a free resource here mm-hmm. um, that, you know, I'll tell you, I would much rather sit across this table looking at you than I would be in the back of a police <laughs> car with a, you know, with yeah. a German shepherd. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so what's interesting is Anne Arundel County is, is, is resource rich in a lot of ways. Um, what a lot of our agencies, organizations, and nonprofits are doing now differently than we did even two years ago is working together to not duplicate services. So if we don't provide the service through the Conflict Resolution Center, we do have a partner that does, whether it's the Partnership for Children, Youth, and Families, whether it is the Department of Aging and Disability, or for example, like the library. We work very closely with the library system. We actually do mediations in the libraries. Um, Not all libraries, because they're not all private and confidential, but where we can do them, we do. We use the senior centers for the Department of Aging and Disability, so we're actually in those centers and can provide mediation services there. We're in Brooklyn Park. Um, the community of hope, we're there, we're in the well, you, you name it. There, We work with these agencies so that we can provide what's called a system of care and provide wraparound services. So if someone's hungry and they come into the table for mediation, they're not likely going to be able to pay attention. So we want to make sure they're fed. Individuals who have issues with transportation, we pay for people to, to get to their mediation. So we have a set-aside line item in our budget for transportation. So it should never be an issue of people not being able to get to mediation because we can help pay for that. You want to resolve the problem, do it. How many cases, I'm presuming that's the word you use, a year Mm -hmm. do you do? Do you have any idea? It really depends. So, for example, we I can tell you for reentry last year, we did close to 350 cases just for reentry. Oh, wow. Okay. Just for reentry. Um, sessions, we get into the thousands because one case can, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine sessions. Sessions, for a case. and others are, they right. come in for 20 minutes. Right. And it's so like, cases, okay. <laughs> cases can be somewhat deceiving in that if you say, well, we only did 800 cases, well, but that could have been multiple sessions for each case. Gotcha. Right. Um, Facilitations are not necessarily counted the same way that mediations. We don't necessarily call those sessions. Facilitations are a little bit different. So it really depends. Um, But we're in the hundreds in mediations, in facilitations, in sessions. We're probably close to several thousand. Well, it is a great resource. Um, And, you know, I I learned what I learned today is that obviously you've got this office here off of Reaver Road, but you you're ev- you're everywhere. This yes, is this is the this is this is where the phone rings and where the emails come. But that's yeah, uh, yeah. but 
anybody that's listening, you want to go to aacrc.info. Mm-hmm. Um, you got one of those fancy new domains. We have one of those fancy new domains um, for a reason. I won't go into it now, but yeah, aacrc.info. <laughs> and important. that will bring you to Anne Arundel County Conflict Resolution Center and Georgia Sherrod, who is the executive director, really trying to, you know, let the steam out of the county when we get a little bit hot under the collar. And we all do. Use it. It's here. It's free. It's uh, a benefit of living in Anne Arundel County. And you guys are doing, doing great work. So if anyone would ever like to reach the center, our phones are manned really Monday through Monday. Our phone number is 410-266-9033. If you can't talk to a live person, leave a message, and someone will return your call within 24 hours. If you are uh, able to go online to aacrc.info, you can always, instead of leaving a voicemail message, complete a form, and that form will specifically ask you questions about what type of conflict you're having, put your information in via email, and someone will contact you through the phone or via email to say they received your information and you can start a case that way as well. Oh, can't get any easier than that. We got you covered. How do you and your husband fight? Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> so... It's um, it's interesting because we we really don't fight. We we do have disagreements, but as a media as a trained mediator, I've learned to um, try to listen to what he's saying. I have my moments when I ignore him completely. Like that's just <laughs> probably the talk the, to the hand. It, it's it, I, I walk out of the room or he says I know you hear me talking to you. <laughs> it drives him crazy. Um, he's a really good communicator. And um, we tend to just say what it is that we think and feel. Um, We both are, uh, this is both our second marriage. So this is not our first time at the wheel. And we just made a very um, deliberate decision to have constructive conversations whenever we disagree about something. Fantastic. I think that's perfect advice for any number of people, for any number of types of relationships. Georgia Sherrod, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been a bonus podcast from Ion Annapolis. Please visit us at ionannapolis.net. Follow us on Facebook at All Annapolis and on Twitter at Ion Annapolis. And if you haven't subscribed to the Daily News Brief podcast, go for it. And all of your local news will be delivered to your phone, tablet, or smart device by 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday.